We've been going through, started way back in the last year, going through the book of Isaiah. I'm not dealing with it expositionally, by verse by verse, not going through every verse. And, uh, but we're trying to just cover some of the highlights. The book of Isaiah is written many years before the Lord Jesus Christ came. There's no other book in the New Testament quoted as much as the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is quoted more times in the New Testament than any other book in the Old Testament. And the Lord has used this book tremendously. Uh, some of you maybe got to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls. And some of you uh, uh, have heard about them. Well, a large portion of what's there is a portion of the book of Isaiah. Particularly Isaiah chapter number 53 that talks about the death of our Lord. And I thought of all the things that had been preserved of the Old Testament manuscripts for God and his divine providence to save that passage of scripture that says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. To have that there for all the world to see as it travels around, it was a, a wonderful blessing indeed. But the book of Isaiah is a wonderful prophecy. And it talks about those current days when Isaiah lived and the kings of Israel and Judah. It also skips down to the time of the birth of our Lord. Give some details about Christ's birth and how he came and how he grew up and, and how he had no form to comeness that we should desire him. We'll get to that a little later on. But as you look at the book of Isaiah, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah that parallel the New Testament. 39 chapters deal primarily with Israel, prophecies and countries relating to Israel. And then the last 26, uh, 27 uh, books of the the uh, chapters deal with prophecies about our Lord, about the tribulation period, and about the millennial reign of Christ. And so much of what you're going to be living, some of you, uh, so far as tribulation period, I'm not going through the tribulation myself, but uh, those who know the Lord will not go through the tribulation period. But there are so many wonderful things to hear about uh, prophecy. And so Isaiah covers a great panorama of, of history of the world and of the church. And so many wonderful things and many things that are going on today currently are already prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Now we pick up our, our study of the book of Isaiah. He has just pronounced judgment on many nations in and around Israel. And, and then the chapter previous to where I'm reading now, he, he has talked about his judgment on all the world. That's what's called the great tribulation period. And he alludes to that, talks about that. But now we've come to this time. When he is given a prophecy and testifying about Israel, about while they have gone through such great terrible times in history like the Holocaust and what they're going to be facing imminently very soon now when all the nations of earth come against them and, and the battle of Armageddon and Antichrist rises against Israel and it is his purpose to totally destroy and annihilate Israel and that spirit of Antichrist is at work already in the world. It's already been here. John said that. He said that spirit of Antichrist is already in the world and it's been magnified and intensified as times progressed. And uh, Israel will become a cup of trembling for the whole world. All the nations of the world will go against Israel and God and his divine providence will deliver them. Well, what you come to here in chapter 26 is the song of deliverance. It is rejoicing. And he's saying weeping is going to endure for tonight, but joy is coming in the morning. Because there's coming a time in Zechariah when God will pour out his spirit upon the house of David. And Israel will be born converted in a day. And they'll look on the Messiah. They'll look on him whom they pierced to turn to the Savior. Right now, Israel is in part in blindness. 
They don't recognize Jesus Christ as being Savior and Lord. They believe in Jehovah God, but they don't recognize Jesus as being Savior. But the day's coming that they will, and that's not very far down the road. And so here's the rejoicing chapter. And there are so many things here that is for them, but it also relates to us. Look in Isaiah chapter 26 with all those words of introduction. I want to begin reading verse 1 of chapter 26. And you'll remember, maybe you'll remember, that I dealt with a verse here in verse 23, the last verse that I dealt with in the book of Isaiah. But in chapter 1, uh, chapter 26 of Isaiah, verse 1. In that day, now this is the day of rejoicing. This is the day when God ultimately finally delivers Israel. This is a day that will begin the millennial reign of Christ. This is a day when God has already, of course, brought Israel back into the land. He did that in 1948, but that day has not happened yet. This day that he's talking about here has not been in history yet, but it's coming. It's the day when God's totally delivered Israel and they are able to rejoice. In that day, this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bullets. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation shall keep the truth, uh, that, that which keepeth the truth may enter in. Here's the verse I preached on the last time I dealt with the book of Isaiah. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And there's the great stability in the age that you're living in, 2009. What does it hold? What's going to happen with our new president? What's going to happen with our new Congress and Senate? What's going to happen? Nobody knows about the economy. And uh, many people see and and now live in dark days. And uh, what's going to happen? Well, he says this. He'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. Now, that does not mean that you will not lose your job in 2009. It does not mean that there will not cancer invade your body in 2009. But it does say that if you'll keep your mind stayed on him, that word stayed means to be totally rested upon, to lay upon, to cast yourself on without any hope of anything else, to totally depend on him. If you'll keep your mind and your heart leaning on him, he'll give you perfect peace in the time of storm, in the time of trouble, in the time of difficult days. He'll give you perfect peace and a joy. Well, that's what it's all about anyway. You think that a house and land and financial security bring you peace and joy? That's not always true. But wouldn't it be something if regardless of how your financial picture looked, if you had peace on the inside, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that regardless of how the economy looks as a whole, that you could still have perfect peace and joy in your heart? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that in spite of turmoil in your family and confusion, all types of problems, that you could still have a perfect peace in the middle of that storm? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that although there may be awful diseases to ravage your body or a loved one's body, that yet God could still give you and them a perfect peace and joy? I'll tell you how to do that. Look in this verse number three again. Notice what he says. Thou, and I showed you this, if you remember, if you mark your Bible, you underline that little word thou. And then look at the last word of verse three, thee, and underline or circle that word. Thou in the beginning speaks of the Lord and thee at the end of that verse speaks about the Lord. And if he is the first and he's the last, if he's all of your life, if he's alpha and omega, if he's your all in all, then right in the middle of that, you'll have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And that's the way you do it. If you're, if he's your life and you're trusting him completely 
Now, my intent was to read the rest of this chapter, study the rest of this chapter, and give you an overview of the rest of this chapter and then go on. But I read the next verse. And I got so blessed I couldn't quit. And I hope you'll get just a little touch of it this morning. Notice he goes on and amplifies what he said in verse 3. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. What a blessing. He said this to Israel. He said trust in the Lord forever. Trust him forever. Trust him forever. For in the Lord, Jehovah is everlasting strength. This is one of the few passages of scriptures in the Bible where the word Jehovah is written out as it is in the Hebrew. Quite often the word is translated Jehovah means uh, the Lord our Savior or the, or the Lord. And so, but here is one of those few instances where God is divine providence had to write out in capital letters, Jehovah is our refuge. Jehovah is our strength. Will you bow with me for just a brief word of prayer? Father, I ask now the Holy Ghost of God to help me to be a blessing to your people. I pray, God, that, Lord, that you'd speak peace to our hearts. And our Father, help us to understand the secret of that peace that passes all understanding. The the peace that will come in spite of whatever financial picture we may face in the coming years. Our Father, there are many good men, many good women here who have worked diligently. And God, it may fall their lot in the coming year, maybe so far as their job's concerned, to lose their employment. And God, we're going to trust that, God, that's not so. But God, if it does, I pray, God, they learn this wonderful secret. That they can trust in Jehovah God forever. That you are an everlasting strength. And that, God, you'll meet their need regardless of what happens. Our Father, we are excited about the coming days. Because, God, we believe that we're living in the last days. God, I pray you'd help me and help those in this church, those in the Internet audience, radio audience, those who know name the name of Christ around the world. Our Father, to be busy about the Master's business. Now, God, I pray for your special anointing touch on me this morning. And I'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at this verse for just a few moments? He said in this passage of Scripture that you are to trust him. You'll trust the Lord, the Bible says here, forever. Trust ye the Lord forever. Now, notice how that's phrased. Trust ye in the Lord forever. You trust him. You can trust him forever. Now, many people don't have any problem trusting the Lord as long as everything's going smooth. But he he wants you to understand something. Israel He's prophesied already. You're going through some dark days. You're going through some difficult times. He will elaborate on that and, and, and he'll show Israel as we go through this book that the judgment on them and the, and the times they're coming through is going to be very difficult. But he wants them to know this from the very beginning. You can trust the Lord. You can depend on him and you can trust him forever. Now, some of you who have children, and, and I, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. I can remember the guy. It's like a robot looking thing. But I remember they ran this little ad on television. And he had this little fraying, uh, saying, he said, from if infinity and beyond. Now, and some of you laugh because you know who I'm talking about. I can't remember. I can see him in my mind. And we saw him at Disney World, matter of fact. But I, some of these guys should ask them. But to if infinity and beyond. And, of course, you understand that when you talk about if infinity... And that is endless and there's no beyond that. It just continues on and on and on. 
Well, when he said you trust the Lord in this passage of scripture, in the Hebrew text, it means, it says this, you trust him forever. And it means even unto eternity and forever and ever and ever you can trust him. You, you can depend on him. You, you can rest on him. You're standing on a sure foundation. And if everything else around you is dissolved and destroyed, you'll still be standing on the rock of ages. This next little phrase in this passage of scripture says this. He says, he said, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now, if you have a Bible that has a marginal reference and, and this one I have does, it's a Schofield Bible. And then I have another study Bible at home. And I looked at that one. It did. If you have a marginal reference, you'll notice that. In that, in the Hebrew, that everlasting strength means the rock of ages, the rock of ages. Jesus, the Lord is the rock of ages. He's the rock that will stand when all the rest of the world's destroyed. You can stand on him. And he said, you can trust him. He is our rock. He is, he, he is a, a place of hiding. He's a place of fortress and foundation. He's a place, place of refuge. You can trust the Lord. Trust him. Now, what does it mean to trust him? What does it mean to trust him? Well, it means this. It means to have complete, total surrender and, and reliance on him. You, you, you're going to just trust him no matter what. I'm not holding on to my experience. I'm not holding on to my education. I'm not holding on to my, my, my background. I'm not trusting anything else other than him. It is an absolute total reliance. I read through the book of Acts recently and the apostle Paul was en route to Rome and he was on a ship where God spoke to him and told him that this ship shouldn't sail. And uh, he told the captain and he told the people on board, we're not supposed to go. Well, they, they didn't listen and they went on anyway and they'd not gone very far out in the ocean. Before they had a horrible storm. And it, it was it was really a hurricane. You're siding. It's like a hurricane. Uh, and that hurricane began to toss that ship. It went on for several days. Over 14 days, I believe. And they did all the things that normal sailors would do. And they began to realize that the ship was taken on water. They had to lighten the load. So they began to cast off all their supplies, all of their treasures, everything that they, they had, their, their livelihood. They were going to, they throw it all overboard. And, uh, they, they, that was no longer important to them. The most important thing at that time was living to live. And so they didn't need, they didn't need that means of livelihood at that time. All they were interested in living. They had taken already down the sails. And so they, they had no, no plan, no direction. They had no intent of going in a certain direction. They, they had learned long time ago that if they were going to survive in a hurricane, you had to take down your sails because you no longer were in control. You're going to have to ride out the storm. And they throwed off all that. But after a while, that didn't work. And so then they began to throw off all the tackling, which meant this. We'll never, ever again raise the sails. We're never, ever going to depend on ourselves anymore. From now on, whatever this wind does, we're going to have to go where the wind blows because they, they cut all the ties. But they came after a while. Paul came and he stood on there. He said, men, he said, an angel stood by me this night. And he said this, he said, there'll be no loss of life. Nobody's going to die. Well, they thought he was crazy because the ship was already beginning to come apart. He said, we're going to make it safely to the shore. But in order to get there, you've got to, you got to ride in this ship. You got to stay in this ship. Well, as they got closer to the shore, they began to sound. And as they got close to the shore, the, the boat began to run aground. 
And there was one lifeboat and they began to let the lifeboat down and Paul stopped them. He said, I told you that if you want to be saved, you got to stay in the ship. And he said, they cut the ropes and they let her fall. Now that was it. That was their last hope. They no longer had any sails. They no longer had any tackling. They no longer had any supplies. They no longer had other means of escape. They had, they came to totally rely on the word of the apostle Paul and they had given their life to the dependence of their life totally on, on doing what Paul said. And that's a picture of trust. I'm going to trust him no matter what. I, I, I'm not going to have any, de- I, I'm not going to worry about which way the wind blows. I'm not going to worry about the storm. I'm going to trust him with my whole life. Now, some people say that's blind faith. No, it's not blind faith. That's biblical faith. I'm trusting him. That doesn't mean that you're not to prepare for the future. Doesn't mean that you're not to work your job. But it means this. I'm trusting him no matter what. That means if I'm successful in this business or the business folds, I'm still trusting him. It means that if I, I do this or that or the other, if this happens, that doesn't happen. It makes no difference. I'm standing on him. Everything else around me can collapse, but I'm resting and trusting completely in him. He's not limited. I know some of you who have have had large financial investments, maybe. Maybe you've got money in IRAs and you've watched like much of America, your IRA has begun to deplete and you're losing that. And you say, you know, I've had this much money and I've lost it. Praying it'll come back up and all those things. But the truth of the matter is, there is a place where you have an investment. If you're a Christian, that is not affected by the stock market. It's not affected by wars in the Middle East. It's not affected by oil crisis. He said you can lay up treasures on above where moth and rust does not corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal, and it's reserved in heaven for you. And so those of you who know Christ could come to me, as did Mays Jackson. Brother Mays used to tell the story about when he was a little boy and his family went through the Depression. He said he remembered going down to the bank with his daddy, and there were great crowds gathered around the bank, and they were there to get what little bit of money they had in the bank. And he said, before they got there, they closed all the windows down. They closed everything. The bank president said, I'm sorry. All the money's gone. Everything, all your investments, everything gone. There's no more money. And, and May said he remembered seeing grown men cry. He saw them fall down in that bank and other places. And he said his daddy went home. And he said all the way home, he was silent and just weeping. And May said, I didn't quite understand what happened. And he said, when we walked in the door, his wife met him. Mays' mother met him. And, and the daddy said, first thing he said, Mays said, I remember like yesterday. He said, he called her name and he said, honey, we've lost everything. And he said, my mama who loved God, walked with God, walked up to him. He, she said, let me tell you one thing. She said, we hadn't lost everything. She said, we still got God. As long as we got God, he's got all we need. We still got the Lord. And can I tell you, if you lose everything down here, Praise God, you still got everything. Some of you have investments diversified in different accounts. And thank God there's some of you who've got a diversity up in heaven. And so if this part of your assets are gone, that part's still there. But you still got Christ to hold on to. He made a promise to you who know him. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can trust him. And that's what it means though. I'm going to trust him regardless. I'm going to look to him. And when things, I cannot figure it out on paper and, it, and, and the world's just said it's no hope. I'm still going to trust him. We'll make it through. And God's got a plan for my life. But now quickly, let me give you about this rock of ages. He is the rock of ages. He said, 
he, the Lord is an everlasting strength. He is the rock of ages. Turn back in your Bible, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 32. Deuteronomy, chapter number 32. Let me read you a verse there just real quick. Jesus is a rock of ages. The Lord is our rock. He's the one we're standing on. He's the one that storms of life and difficult and uh, uh, problems will not affect. Deuteronomy chapter 32, look at verse number 4. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 4. You be patient with me. I'm turning in, in my new Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, look at verse number 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. He is the rock. The Lord is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Notice that little preposition, the. He is the rock. The article, he is the rock. Now, turn to the New Testament. And let me show you something in the New Testament. In in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Listen to the admonition or to the explanation of who Jesus is. In chapter 10 in, in the New Testament, look at verse number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. And did all drink of that spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. God, Jesus, is the rock. He's the one you need to trust. He is the rock of ages cleft for me. Let me just quickly share with you four or five things about the rock of ages. Number one, he is the rock of redemption. He's the rock of redemption. You can trust him in that you can depend on him for salvation. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. He is the rock of our salvation. Notice, if you will, please, in the book of Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 12. Write these scriptures down if you don't want to take time to turn to them, but I hope you'll write them down and look at them later. Isaiah chapter 12, look at verse 2. Listen again, here's this word Jehovah written out for us. And he said it, Isaiah said in chapter 12 and verse 2, Behold, God, who is the rock of ages, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, and he's also become my salvation. The rock of ages is the rock of salvation. He's the one that you can trust. He's the, he's the one that you can depend on to give you everlasting life. Now, I want to show that show you that illustrated back in the book of Exodus. Go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible. Find the book of Exodus. Let me tell you the story. You remember how that the children of Israel have come out of bondage. They've been brought out of Egypt. They are now wandering in the desert or, or on their way to the promised land. They become tired and thirsty. And they cry out to Moses and say to Moses, we've got to have rock. Uh, we've got to have some water. We, we, we need to have water to drink. And there's no water out here in this desert. You brought us out here to die. Moses cries to the Lord. And in chapter 17, notice what happens in verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take thee the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take it in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of the rock, that the people may drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now here he smites this rock, 
and water comes flowing out of that rock. They're thirsty and tired and they are going to think they're dying of dehydration. And God says to, says to Moses, you strike that rock. First Corinthians says Jesus is that rock. And out of that rock came life. You can live 40 days without food, but you can hardly live three days without water. And that water represented life flow to them. And he struck that rock, smite the rock. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, was smitten. And out of him flows life for us. Out of him flows water. Brad saying about, he gave me water. That woman at the well, he gave her water. He said, if you ask me, I'll give you water. You'll never thirst again. She said, evermore, give me that water. And he did. And that water is salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it comes out of that rock. Three or four things about that water. Number one, it was free. They didn't have to pay for it. I remember when bottled water came out. How many remember that? When bottled water came out. I thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. I said, man, I know people do all kinds of things, make money, but this is going to be the biggest flop in the world. Who is going to pay for water? All you got to do is pump or turn the spigot on and get all the water you want. But man, look what's happened to it. And people buy water all the time, but not so with the Lord. Because the water came out of that rock was free. And salvation is free to any man, woman, boy, or girl. And he, out of that rock flows salvation free to all. He said in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 1, Come without money and take of that water. It's free. You don't have to have it. Not only is it free, it flowed out of, there were th- about three and a half million Jews. And the water came out of that rock and satisfied all of them. I've told the story a long time ago, I don't know if you remember it or not, but every time I read that, I think about how something happened to us down in Florida. When we had old Mount Zion camp, we had had a, a huge flood, and uh, it, it had flooded the buildings, dormitories, and we were down trying to get it cleaned out. We had all the kids with us, and and uh, that time, Becky and Avery were small, and they were all fussing and fighting, and everybody was hot, and a lot of kids down there, and it, it, it was just terrible. I mean, they just had lost interest in everything and we would all give out. But a fellow brought in a pump. We've been trying to sweep the water out, haul the water out. And he brought in a pump, ran that ho- uh, pipe way up on the hill, cranked that thing up. And boy, they, of course, the ch- kids were curious and th- they'd all got around up there and they went to the end where the pipe was at. And I told him water's coming out in a few minutes. And he cranked that thing up. And sure enough, that water came flooding out of there. And we went about our business trying to make sure everything. And I looked and there were all those kids, probably a dozen of them or more. And they were getting right near the end of the hose and they take a ride. I mean, it was, it had such force. They were just scooting out down the, down the yard and they were wallowing around and they were muddy and dirty and just having the biggest time. And I thought that was just cool. Now, when mama came, she didn't think quite as cool as I did, but boy, they, they had a time. And I thought, what a difference the flow of water made. A few minutes ago, they were hot and tired and fussy and complaining and, and mad at one another. But when the water started flowing, boy, they got happy. They had a wonderful time. And that's what happened when God sent water out of that rock. Salvation. And I'll tell you, if you want to have joy, real joy, abide in joy, it only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ by trusting him as the rock of ages. Now, Moses had another encounter with that same rock. Over in the book of Numbers, chapter number 20. Once again, they complained about the water. And God says to Moses, he said, go speak to that rock. If you'll speak to it, water will come out of it. 
And Moses went and he rebuked the people and he became very angry. And he took his rod and he struck that rock and water sure enough came out to satisfy the needs of the people. But God called Moses off to the side. He said, Moses, he said, I told you to strike, to speak to the rock. But because you've struck the rock, I'm not going to allow you to lead this people into the promised land. And he didn't. God kept his word. Moses didn't get to lead the children of Israel into the promised land because he struck the rock a second time. Now, why was that so severe? And why was his punishment so severe that he wouldn't be allowed to go into the promised land? Why? Because that rock is Christ. And it was struck the first time. And once he died, the Bible said he died once for all. He's paid that sin debt. Christ doesn't have to die again. He doesn't have to be crucified again. And now anybody who wants salvation, all they have to do is speak to the rock. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation's a free gift and it's abundant. I mean, there's enough water flowing out of there for everybody. But you must speak to the rock. You've got to call on him. You've got to receive him. Not only was it free and not only was it abundant, but it was near. It flowed out through that whole group. And the Bible said, the word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. That is the word of truth which we, which we preach. If you call on him, I'll tell you how close he is to you. He's just a prayer away. If you want him this morning, if you want to be saved today, you just call on him right now. But in order for that water to do them any good, they had to take the water. They had to drink the water. And my dear friend, you've, you've got to receive him if you want it. He's the rock of salvation. He's the rock of redemption. But let me hasten on. He's also the rock of refuge. Look over in the book of Psalms, if you will, please. Psalm 61. He is the rock. We can trust him for our salvation. But in Psalm 61, you can trust him as a place of refuge. I mean, he's a place of security and safety. He's a place that you can retreat to. Notice what it says in Psalm 61 and verse number two. He said, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's a place, place of refuge. I mean, when things have overwhelmed you, when this world has just overwhelmed you, when there's nowhere for you to look. You can look to him. He is the rock that's higher than you. In Isaiah 32, verse 2, he's called a, a, a shadow, a rock. He said you can retreat up under that rock. In the shadow of that rock, you can find security. My dear friend, he's in the cleft of the rock. You can run to him. In the darkest hour of your life, he's a place of refuge where you can hide. Let me hasten on. Not only is this rock a place of refuge, not only is it a place of redemption, but the Lord Jesus Christ is a place of revelation. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 20 and 22, Moses makes a unique request to the Lord. He said, God, I want to see your glory. And the Lord said, well, you know, nobody's ever seen God and lived. His radiance, his glory is such that when human beings come into his presence, they're just smitten. I mean, they're consumed by the radiance, the glow of God. He said, but Moses, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll let you just get a little bit of glimpse of my glory. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, you come over here and you get in the cleft of this rock. You get inside that rock. And he said, I'll pass by and I'll let you see just the hinder part of my glory. I'll just let you catch a little glimpse of it because you couldn't live if you saw it all. But the only place he could see it 
was in the cleft of the rock. And can I say something to you? That rock is a place of revelation. You'll never know God. You'll never see the glory of God. You'll never understand the majesty, majesty of God. You'll never enjoy the benefits of his power and his wisdom until you're in the cleft of the rock. That's a place of revelation. You, you have to look from that perspective in Christ. The things in this Bible are foolishness to most people. I don't care how, who they are, what kind of background they came from. It's foolishness to them because Paul said the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. They're foolishness to him. And so don't be surprised if a large number of people that you talk to can't understand what you understand about the word of God. But I've seen so many dear saints of God, those with great educations and those with very little education, who saw the same truths. They saw him in his omnipotent power. They saw him in his omniscient wisdom. They saw him in all of his, all that he can do. And they've had that vantage point of seeing him in Christ. When you get in Christ, when you get in the rock, he'll begin to show you things. He'll begin to show you the truth of the word of God. It's a place of revelation. The rock is a place of redemption. It's a place of refuge. It is a place of revelation. But can I say this to you? It is also a place of refreshing. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 13, it says this. He said, they shall get honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. That honey is for, for strength and stamina. It, it is for vitality. It's to just keep you going. And in the rock is refreshing. You get weary in this journey. You get tired in the Christian life. You get tired in, in everything's going on and you're just beat down and wore down. The Bible said in the last days, Satan shall come down with great wrath. He knows he has a short time. And the Bible says this, he will wear out the saints. How many times have you ever come in and sat down and you said, I am wore out. I'm wore out. And I'll tell you something. That uh, Part of that is, is your physical stamina, but part of it is Satan wearing out the saints. But there's a place of refreshing. Now, let me give you a little secret. There's been plenty of times in my life that I didn't feel like coming to the house of God. And I, I, I just had to make myself come. But I've never come to the house of God that, boy, God didn't bless me through the singing or through the testimony or through something. And I got vitalized. I got revitalized. I got, I got, uh, Jimmy Wheeler used to say I got souped up. I got, I got souped up at the house of God because out of that rock, I had some honey. And out of that rock, I had some oil of the Holy Ghost. And out of that rock, according to Isaiah, I got water out of the rock for refreshing. And thank God he's a, the Lord can refresh you. In a new day, those disciples, after having been under such great persecution, came in that upper room the second time and they prayed. And they said, God, grant that now with all boldness we might preach thy word. And boy, God came in like a mighty rushing wind and rejuvenated them and refreshed them and revived them. And I'm going to tell you, there's revival in the Lord. You say, Brother Billy, I'm a Christian, but I've been out of fellowship. I, I'm not close to the Lord to be. What I need to do, I'll tell you what you need to do. You just need to get closer to the rock of ages. Because out of him, you can draw honey. Out of him, you can get water. Out of him, you can get oil. It's a place of refreshing in the rock of ages. And what a blessed place that is. A place of refuge. A place of refreshing. A place of revelation. And a place of redemption in the rock of ages. Thank God. Listen, you can have that today. You can have that rock of ages. You can depend on him. You can trust him. I've, I've shared this little story with you before. But when we were... Went on a mission trip many years ago. Oh, I say 94 now. No, long ago. One of the things we did, we went up the Rhine River and uh, had some folks with us who've been over there for many years. And 
we went up the Rhine River and we saw those massive castles. They were huge. And we, we went in one of those castles. You had to park down here and walk a long ways up and get up there. And they had a restaurant in it. But it was massive. I mean, made out of those stones. And I, I walked in. And we walked around and saw all the corridors. And, of course, it's, it's not a very inviting place. And we went on up. And, I, I, in fact, you could go all the way up to the tip top in the tower. My wife and, and the brother I was with, his wife chose not to go. But me and John Turner went. We went all the way up in those observation towers. And when we got up in the observation towers, now you're up on the top of a mountain. And they both brought for the foundation this, this thing sitting on rock. And then they built the, built the whole thing out of stone. There are no, there, there's no mortar. No mortar holding anything together. Somehow or another, they had cut those stones to where, like he says in the Bible, they were fitly framed together, tied together. And they had to bring all that stuff up their mountain. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was a little while back and I was a little bit better shape than I am now. And the time I walked up to it, I was, I was winded. I was tired. And yet these people had brought these stones, huge boulders, and carved them and built the foundation and built the walls and built the rooms and the superstructure of it and everything. And then all the way up to these towers, and they, they were way, way up. And you had, you could get up there and look. And I, when I got up there, I noticed that the stones were small, but still they were cut. There was no mortar. Everything was, was tied together. And it was built in the year 900. Wow. It's been there all those years, sitting right on a cliff. I mean, it was overhanging a cliff. And I, I got laughing and John said, what are you laughing at? I said, a building inspector would never have approved this. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. And yet it stood there all these years. And John said this to me. He said, you know why? And I said, why? He said, this entire mountain is solid rock. He said, it's sitting on a solid rock. And that rock, boy, and that mountain was high. A solid rock sitting on there. Storms, hurricanes, wars, battles. And it's still sitting there just like it did 900 years ago when the, in the year 900 when they built it. Because it's sitting on the rock. And can I tell you, I don't care what happens in your life. Have no idea. It doesn't make any difference who's in the White House, who's not in the White House. If you're standing on that rock, you're okay. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Trust in the Lord, he said. Trust him. Trust him forever. Trust him. For he is everlasting strength. He is the rock of ages. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I want to have you done that. I want to encourage you this morning. Every one of us, maybe we have had some question in the past months, looking toward the future. But I can tell you one thing. You can trust him to eternity and beyond. You can rest on him. He is, he is the rock of salvation. He's the rock of redemption. He's the rock of refuge. He's the place where you can resort to when you're overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that's higher than me, that's higher than I. Lead me to that rock.